You're listening to the Crackpot Crones podcast with Carolyn Myers. Carolyn here. In this special poetry podcast, I am interviewing two of my favorite poets, Julie Rogers and Gaya Udrin. And each of us is going to read a poem we wrote about seeking to recognize and bring forth the divine feminine as part of our spiritual path. Now, in this quest, we are hardly alone. In many of the great world religions, the ranks of followers of the goddess tradition within that religion itself are growing exponentially. Mary, Tara, Trumanagmo, Kali, the Candoble goddesses of Udon, as well as the feminist women's spirit movement itself. She is celebrated in practices and festivals all over the planet. And of course, for what could be more essential than to bring back the mother at this confusing time on earth? And yet, as each of us poets discovered, when that goddess muse speaks through you, Things seldom go as you had planned. The first poet on the podcast will be Julie Rogers. She has been writing since age 12 and has been performing her work since the late 1970s. Several books of her poetry have been published, along with an end-of-life manual, Instructions for the Transitional State. So far, she spent her adult life learning how to be a mother for her daughter Sange and how to practice Vajrayana Buddhism along with service work, just trying to figure it all out. Julie is also employed as a creative writing coach for folks from 8 to 80. She's the founder and director of TLC Transitional Life Care, and she loves to be in the woods where she keeps trying to see the forest through the trees. Hi, Julie. Hi, Carolyn. <laughs> I wanted to start with talking about when we met. And I know that you had Sange, your daughter, was a babe in arms. That's what I remember. I know it's in the early 80s, but I'm not sure when. Well, it must have been in 84 or 85. I remember you, Matthew, and the girls, who are just little, standing in front of the yurt at Tashi Tolling, <laughs> and you were talking about Matthew, your roommate. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <I> thought, oh. <laughs> That's fine. I have one of those, too. I we know. Moved, we moved there in 1985. 85. So either you had already moved there or you were about to move there. And you moved right into the meadow, right? Well, I had a, a travel trailer that we moved into the meadow on, unfortunately, land that it wasn't okay to live on. And we immediately got red tagged by the county. Oh. And so that's when I rented what was known at that time as Mitchell Frangidakish's shack. Yes. <laughs> Actually, the old, what was it, the star? Rainbow star. Rainbow star communes house. It was a kind of a shack, really. Yeah. A little and, room off the main house. Yeah, yeah. 
Mitchell had been living there and that's where we moved in. And then I just brought my trailer in and put it next to the mouse house. Yeah. Without asking anyone. And it stayed there for four years. The rent was $17 a month. Oh, that can be steep though in those days. <laughs> yeah, I was you very, know, very poor. That's right. We were poor. When I remember when we moved into town and we lived in the house on Fairview, I mean, our rent was $75 a month. One time we didn't have it. We didn't have $75. And so we took the landlord a box of pears and apples that we'd picked. And he looked at the box of pears and apples and he looked up at us and he said, I got to say, I really admire you people. I couldn't live like you do. (laughs) (laughs) I know that in the trailer, there was no running water. There was no electricity. I had two 12-volt cell batteries that I would Uh charge over at Philip Thomas's and switch them off every week so that I could listen to The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy on Sunday (laughs) nights. That was my big entertainment. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, something to look forward to. So did you write poetry during that time? When you had that baby and when you were living without running water? Or was there a gap? No, no, no. I started writing when I was 12, but I didn't really take myself seriously till I was a little bit older of a teen. Yeah. yeah. As far as being a poet, I just didn't get it until I I did get it. And then, yeah, I wrote all the way through. And actually, before that, when we lived in Mount Shasta, before we came up to Tashi Chuling, I started a manuscript for Sange which I've been writing it for 37 years. It's amazing. That's still going. So yeah, lots of poems over the years. Yeah, you started writing the Sangay when she was still in the womb, right? Yeah, right after I found out I was pregnant. That, like many things, remains unpublished. Yes. (laughs) Apparently I'm not ambitious enough. (laughs) So would you say that that your your inspiration comes directly from your life. When do you write the most poetry? What what informs your times um, of writing? Well, basically, I write because it's a need. It's a necessity. And I've been writing about everything. Life, I guess. Friends. I've written many, many poems for friends and family. And my spiritual life has definitely been an inspiration. And about the world in general. I just got a little book published that's all like a social commentary about what's going on currently. Uh huh. But a lot yeah. of it's a way to process and deal with life. Right. It's not like I'm necessarily writing for someone. It's yeah. just writing whatever comes out. Yeah, it's I have to really say, different. I probably have more books of poetry from you than any other poet. And, you know, sometimes I feel that shock of recognition, both because it's you, who's my good friend, and also for myself. And sometimes I feel, you know, revelation. I really do. I feel like, oh, even poems I've read before that I read much later. And, and of course, I just said that. It wasn't yeah. a setup. But in fact, the poem you're going to read today is called Revelation. <laughs> when did you write Revelation? Well, I realized today that I wrote it 20 years ago when I was living in Hornbrook, and I believe you were too. Yes, I think so. And I was sitting at my desk. Sange, my daughter, was on the couch watching TV. I remember it vividly. And this thing just started pouring out. It was more like keeping up with it. Wow. And I got through the entire thing until the last line. And the previous last line, which I nixed because it wasn't right, Uh right out of the television set. 
the commentator. Wow. It was very bizarre, the whole experience. Yeah. <laughs> but it took me another 10 years to come up with the last line. So wow. the poem sat there for 10 years until it was finished. The whole thing was done except for that last little bit. Actually, this poem has some mileage on it. It's the first poem I sent to my late husband, and immediately he wanted to do a reading together. So it was Oh, like, yeah. David liked it a lot. <laughs> oh, so it, it, ha it had a purpose <laughs> that you didn't even know <laughs> at the time. Perhaps. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> and, and do you like performing it? How does it feel to perform it? It's very fulfilling, I think, because first of all, it's informing me. It's, it's not like some brilliant thing I came up with. I just feel like I was lucky to be there at the computer when it arrived. Oh, neat. But um, it's, it's kind of thrilling to read because it's, um, God, it's got a lot of power. Yeah. And um Again, I don't feel too bashful saying that because I don't really feel responsible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's how it feels as audience, I have to say. I think everyone, and I really experience that power, and I feel very inspired. I do feel inspired by this poem. It's a rush to hear it. Well, I, I, I do think that it's completely rooted in very profound Dharma teachings. Yeah. I mean, yeah. somehow that came through you know, in so-called my own words. Yeah. But it, 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 it's, that's, I guess, the inspiring part. Yeah. Okay. Well, are you ready to read it? All right, then. All right. This is Julie Rogers. Julie Rogers reading her poem, Revelation. Revelation. I am woman, man, child. I am the peak, the cave, darkness, brilliance. I am that which is invisible, without substance, a formless vision present in the body, in the senses, an atmosphere of bliss and profusion. I am the empty voice of rumors that tell everything, the secrets, the lies, the throbbing pulse of a hidden life spent in full view. You cannot see me. I am assertion, withdrawal, giving, taking, thief of energy and creator of frenzy. I am in your eyes, on your tongue, between your legs, in your heart so firmly that your life seems to be your own, but your eventual surrender is certain. I am your mother, your lover, your rival. Your idea of yourself undone, made more beautiful, more real, more of an illusion. I am not a thought, a word, a phantom, a mask, a mirage. I am what you have always wanted, what you fear, what you don't understand, what you have deep inside you like a world you cannot touch but feel constantly. I am your savior, betrayer, ally, spy, guru, slayer. There is nothing I do not know about you. My throne is firm on your crown, in your face, on your penis, your lotus. I live inside you. 
blood, bones, whirling atoms, filling the space of your dissolution. Do not doubt my expanse. Do not distrust the emptiness of my presence. You speak of me as a mystery, but I have taken you everywhere. I am far beyond a wish, prayer, vow, the promise of experience. I steal your ideas and spend them off into the world without asking. Do you know me? Sky dancer, mirror, a blinding ray of heat. I have transcended belief. I am simple as faith. Only the unknown can live beyond me, and once made up, you will think I am your mind. Where nothing is lost, nothing is found. Trust this. Thank you. That's an You're incredible very welcome. poem. I just, I just realized when I, I think you also inspired this with Shebop. So what is the last line that you found later? What is that line? Where does it that start? Where nothing is lost, nothing is found. Trust this. Yeah. Because yeah. the rest of it, wow. you know, came right out. That was, you know, 10 years it took. <laughs> now I'm welcoming to the podcast Gaya Udrin, another dear, lifelong friend, and wonderful poet. Now 80, Gaya Udrin has slowed down to reflect on a life full of adventures, challenges, and opportunities, both taken and missed. Gaya is the author of four books, including a luminous memoir, Songs of the Inner Life, and a chapbook, Words Themselves Are Medicine. Gaya loves poetry and the healing power of sound, considering both to be portals into deeper dimensions of meaning and integration. Hi, Gaya. Hi, Carolyn. Well, Gaya, you remain the only person I ever met in a dream before I met you in actuality. My friend Wolf had taken a course from you on bardic poetry, and he had written a bardic poem, which he had sent to all his friends. And so I had just read that poem, and I thought you sounded like a really interesting person. And that night I had a dream that was a post-apocalyptic dream that took place on the Klamath River. I dreamed that I that I met you, and you and your then-husband Shandor were selling appliances out of a boat. Of course, it was post-apocalyptic. There was no electricity. And so these appliances had only sort of an art value. You know, they were like blenders and toasters and such. <laughs> but, but you were doing a you were doing a, a good business and you were sort of gypsy tinker types. And then when I actually did meet you, which was at your house on uh, East Main in Ashland, Oregon, where you had you had formed an organization called Gathering Together. I was pregnant. I'm sure it was the summer of 1978. And Wolf brought me to your house to introduce me. Now, I know you don't remember that. There were so many meetings during those days. <laughs> but ever since then, I've remembered you. That's certainly true. <laughs> yeah. So indeed, I knew right away that you were a poet because the first thing I knew about you was that you had taught this bardic poetry class. 
So I did know you were a poet. I had you identified that way before I even met you. So when did you start writing poetry? Oh, I think I was 11. 11. 11. Yeah. I don't know what to say about it. Well, what I could say is poetry is a channel to the unconscious and the divine. And at 11, was it like that? I mean, do you remember anything of your really early poems where the inspiration came? It was a tremendous isolation and a sense of being trapped in ordinary reality. So poetry Uh was a doorway into something deeper. Yes, that's what it was like when I was 11. Yeah, yeah. And when do you think, did you identify as a poet? When did you come into that kind of consciousness? I always um, wanted to be a poet. I always uh, felt like being a poet was such a marvelous way of being. Did your parents read you poetry or did you discover it? Or how were those early influences? My father loved Longfellow. He loved those nature poems and he would recite those when we were headed into the woods for a walk. So I always had that connection of a bigger reality, something something more refined, something more magical. Oh, that's wonderful. And have you have you written your whole life? I mean, have there been big gaps or is is writing something that you you always do? I don't always write. I thought I would always write, and when I was younger, I felt very driven that way, but I noticed that writing in general and poetry also, it's woven into my life. I write sporadically. There have been periods of times when I've written intensively for years, and then surprisingly, I stopped writing at times. I've done a lot of other kinds of things in my life, so writing continues, but I'm not one of those people that writes every single day or even every month. Baba Yaga's Raga, which you're going to read today for us. I think maybe I was one of the first people to hear it because we were working on a show. Why don't you tell us about where that poem came from? Well, Baba Yaga's Raga is my response to the stereotype of the nice little old lady. I'm sure there's many other archetypes that one could put forward to offer a counterbalance to the nice little old lady stereotype, but I enjoy the transgressive elements of Baba Yaga as well. So I just naturally gravitate towards her. Baba Yaga's Raga is a wild ride, and I think it's got to be in my top 10 favorite poems. (laughs) So I am so excited to hear it once more and to share it with people listening to the podcast. How does it feel to perform it? Is it fun to perform? Oh, gosh, yeah. Oh, boy. uh, Oh, girl. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. This is Gaya Udrin reciting Baba Yaga's Raga. It's not going to be recited, though. Is it going to be sung? Yeah. Oh, right. Okay, this is Gaya Yudrin singing Baba Yaga's Raga. (laughs) I'm glad that I'm a universal symbol rather than an 
ordinary mortal. I'm someone mythologically occult, impervious to all insult. I'm unashamed of how I might appear, no matter just how absolutely queer my bony shins and greasy hair. I see you stare and do not care. I'm a mythological figure. That's the kind of figure that I cut. Marie Antoinette, I'm not. So what? I'm happy singing Baba Yaga's Raga. Living in the forest, free to ride the wind and wind. Between what's seen and what's unseen. The mother of all hags, that's me. My house stands up on chicken legs. It twirls and never sleeps. It makes a fearful, frightening sound that gives the people creeps. And that's okay, yeah, that's all right with me. Most fortunate and to my joy, no Disney animation freaks have turned me into Looney Tunes. My squawks and groans remain my own. About my age, I never fret, demand respect. That's what I get. Here in the mythical dimension, we're unconfined by convention. I'm glad to be a universal symbol. Rather than an ordinary mortal, I'm happy singing Baba Yaga's Raga. Being archetypal is delightful. It may not be your cup of tea. <laughs> But it works for me. Yes. <laughs> oh, it's wonderful. <laughs> it's it's not like anything I've ever heard. Oh, well, all right then. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Gaia. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you, dear Carolyn. poet. Gaia Udren and Julie Rogers are two of my great poet friends. Now I'm going to share one of my own poems. I, I'm not really a poet. In fact, this poem is the main poem I've ever written. 
and a couple of other shorter pieces. But mainly, I'm a theater person, and most of my work has been in the theater. Now, in the mid-1980s, I decided I would do a one-woman show. I had directed Terry's first one-woman show, Ego Trip, or I'm Getting My Shit Together and Dropping It All on You. And I thought, well, Terry can do it. I can do that, too. It turned out that I don't enjoy being a solo performer, and I've never done it again. I wrote pieces about parts of my life and some stories about friends I knew. And one of my friends was visiting from Italy, and he came to see a rehearsal a few days before the show opened. And he said, well, you know, Carolyn, it's a very good show, but there's nothing of your spiritual life in there. And in our many talks, I've always valued your quest to find a spiritual path. And I'd love to hear you addressing that in your piece. So I went home. It was a very hot summer day, I remember. And I started to write a piece about the ups and downs of my search for the goddess. And it just flowed through me, sort of like what Julie talked about when it just seemed magical, like she was just there to deliver the piece. I had that experience. I felt it was very undeserved because I haven't paid my dues as a poet at all. Um, I hadn't written basically any poetry. And this just came through me. It's called Shebop. It's had a wonderful life. In the few years after it was written, I performed it a lot. And other spoken word artists performed it. And it was even made into an animated film at one time by Joanna Priestley, which was a great rush for me to get to go to the Portland Art Museum Institute and see the animated film based on my poem there on the big screen. So this is called Shebop, My Life in Hard Times, Seeking the Goddess. She's a red-headed woman. She's a sweet blonde thing. She's tall and strong of the darkest skin and the graceful walk. Her eyes are constellations. Her hair floats like the clouds. Her arms are bearing gifts, the healing herbs, woven cloth and language. From her breasts the great rivers flow, where she steps the flowers bloom. She is pregnant with the earth, and she is singing the first song. Artemis, Tara, Parvati, Mary, Birgit. Do you know her, friends? She is coming for me. Her eyes are spinning. Her hair is writhing. She holds the curved knife and the skull cup. She is dripping blood and milk. Her feet are talons. She leads a retinue of 180,000 demons. And she is shrieking. Banshee, Gorga, Lilith, Trumanagmo. Do you know her now, friends? She is coming for you. Part cat, part horse, part bird, part hippo, part fish, part snake. She rides the lion of desire. She is Andromeda and the Pleiades. She is Annapurna and Atalanta and Europa. She is Athena of Athens and Ganga of the Ganges. She is Tacoma. She is Beirut. Ah, oh, how she cries for her cities. Where in the universe will you run from her? She is echo and rumor and gossip, 
fortuna and fraud, liberty and panacea. She is felicitas and anger boda. She is aura, aura, and virgin, ya, and eve, ill. She is just as many words in every other language. What can you say and not invoke her? Oh, my friends, it is so easy to invoke her. She has been ignored for countless aeons, and I tell you, the lady is hungry. She is Gaia, Terra, Mother Earth herself, her of the sea, of the desert, of the foothills, of the mountains. Friend, rest you here on the warm bosom of Mama Mountain. Listen to her the breeze whistling through her the pines. Listen to her the brook rippling, and even her the mountain is alive deep inside. Listen to her murmuring, muttering, rumbling, roaring. Look out, she's going to blow. Look out. Why weren't you listening? Fuji, Pele, St. Helens. She is the volcano, the earthquake, the tidal wave, the typhoon, the hurricane. I hear they're naming them after boys now. Who do they think they're kidding? Acts of God, my foot, her foot. She gives birth from her foot, from her thigh, from her womb, from her belly, from her throat, from her little finger, from between her teeth, she vomits us up. Enso Meke, Demeter, changing woman. Why? Only God the Father. Well, who would the other God be? Oh, Mama, she has been changed. She has been divided and subdivided into 20 minor deities. Now you know her as a saint. Now you worship her lover or her brother or her son. Now she is unnamed. Her image in the museum called only votive figure. And now she is a demon, ascribed with all the things the new god fears. They always say she eats children, of course. And she does. Kali. Hecate. Kowatliki. She is time. She is death. You will meet her. You will be alone and naked. She holds the knife. She slays the ego. And you will die to all you were before. Why can't I scare you? I tell you, the lady will turn you inside out. Do you hate men? Well, she worships the phallus. She has been the ecstatic consort since before time began. Do you fear women? Well, she will bring you down to that tangled ruby place. Can you bear it? She will convince your mother, your own mother, to dance naked in the streets the neighbors will see. She will cause your father to totally change his style. She will steal your lover. She will bring you a new one who is exactly what you thought you wanted. She will lead your children on paths you cannot even dream of. She rides the nightmare. Can you take it? She's already taken you. 
She's out of the bag, on the loose, off the wall. Whatever it takes, she will take from you. She is inside you. And you have not even looked for her. You have lost her, ignored her, and finally denied her. But she is there. And the woman has rage. She demands your best and more. Why are you sloppy? Why are you lazy? Why are you always choosing less than you need? How are you going to change the world if you won't even give yourself the space to breathe? <gasps> breathe her in. <gasps> breathe her out. <sighs> Anna. Aya. Uma. Inanna. Maybe you don't want her, but once you've heard her name, she's inside you forever. You would have been better off never to have heard this piece, but it's too late now, and just when you're sure you can't take any more, she stops. So that's Shebop, my poem. I hope you've enjoyed this evening of poems about the divine feminine, the sacred the goddess in every woman. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Crackpot Crones podcast with Carolyn Myers.